Well, we go back to the start of uh, where we began reading in Genesis chapter 6. And I want to begin to talk about the water, if you will, and what the water begins to represent here in this story. And we find that God's wrath, the, the judgment that God is going to bring out on all mankind that is not on the ark is in the form of water. It is the wrath of God, the judgment of God that is coming upon this sinful, evil, wicked world. And he is going to distribute that wrath and that judgment and that death in the form of water. And we find that as we are going to go through these types and shadows, you're going to find that water is also used in other types and shadows to show judgment. When we get to the story of Noah, we're going to find that very same imagery. We're going to find that as, as, Noah, or as Jonah is going to represent Christ, we're going to see that the, the sea was raging and the sea was swelling. But it would be Jonah who would be shadowing Christ, taking on the wrath and the judgment of the Father, that when he jumped into the raging seas, the sea was calm. Because as Christ took upon the wrath of the Father, he appeased the wrath of the Father. And those waves in that sea was calm. We're going to find that in the story of Jonah. But we find, uh, well, let's go there and read it real quick. Let's go to Jonah. We won't get too far ahead of ourselves in our types and shadows, but we will go to the book of Jonah here, and we will find this story. In Jonah chapter 1. We see that the sea is raging and they don't know what to do. And here's this story unfolding. Verse 11. Well, we'll actually go to verse 10. It says, The men became extremely frightened and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? Remember, the sea is raging and it is violent. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me that this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. It will be Jonah who is going to represent Christ. And as he took upon the wrath of the Father on the cross, the wrath of the Father ceased upon those whom he died for because the wrath of the Father was appeased in the work of the Son. It was no other way. The sea was not going to calm itself down except for Jonah jumping in, foreshadowing Christ. We know that after he jumped into the sea, what happened? He was swallowed by the great fish representing the burial of Christ. And then three days later, he was spit out, representing the resurrection of Christ. We won't go into all the details, but that's what's coming in the story of Jonah. So we find the sea is, in the story of Jonah, it represents wrath and judgment that was appeased and satisfied by Jonah jumping in, which is a foreshadowing of Christ, taking on the wrath of the Father. We find also an interesting use of water, and also baptism. We're going to find 
this story. I want you to go with me to, to Matthew chapter 3 because I want to just set the stage and set the foundation that this water is judgment because that's where we have to find. We have to root ourselves in that this water is the wrath and the judgment of God being poured out. We know it is. We see it, but we're going to take it even farther. In Matthew chapter 3, we go to verse 13 and we find the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. He says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Just as a passing glance here, do you remember what also was sent off of the ark at the very ending of it? It was a dove. And here we have at the baptism of Christ that uh, the Holy Spirit comes down descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we know that when we're baptized, what does it represent to us? It represents that we are dead to the old man and then we're alive in Christ. But we're going to see it goes a little bit deeper than that as well, which will tie into the, the water and the judgment that we are trying to establish here before we go too much farther. And then we come to Luke chapter 12. And we find this interesting verse. In Luke chapter 12, we know that Jesus has already been baptized. Can we agree with that? We know that Jesus' baptism was at the start of his early ministry there. And we know in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. We can agree with that. Now I want you to listen to Luke chapter 12, and I want you to listen to verse 50 and tell me if this makes any sense. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. So now we have Christ, who's been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And now we have in Luke 12, Jesus says, but I have a baptism to undergo. And what restraint I'm under until it's accomplished. What is he talking about? What baptism could he be talking about? He's already been baptized in physical water. What is this baptism that we speak about? This baptism is going to be his death upon the cross. This baptism is going to be when he is taking on the wrath and the judgment from the Father on our behalf. Remember, the water is a representative of judgment in the story of Noah. Jesus has already been baptized in physical water. Now he says, I've got a baptism to undergo, and he's talking about the cross. It's talking about when he's going to die and that he's going to take on the wrath and the judgment of the Father. And we find that as a Christian, you and I are in union with that death, in union with that baptism, in union with the work that he had on the cross in this baptism. And we find that in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 tells us this. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, look, has been baptized into his death. It is that's the baptism that he's undergoing that hasn't happened in Luke chapter 12. It's the death on the cross where he would, if you will, go under the water as they were taking the wrath and the judgment of, of God in Noah's account, and they were being destroyed under the wrath of God in that water. Here now Christ on the cross is going to link his death to a baptism that we're in union with, as he is, if you will, going under the waters of the wrath and the judgment of God on behalf of his elect. He says that we have, we have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that we may be by as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So we, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. I want you to begin to get the imagery here. That the water and the judgment and the wrath that we find in the story of Noah, that is representing the wrath of the Father. That's going to represent the wrath. It's going to foreshadow the wrath that is going to be uh, poured out immutably in all eternity upon those who do not believe. But those who do believe, they're in union with the baptism of Christ on the cross. He went under the waters of the wrath of the judgment of the Father. He's appeased that wrath for us on our behalf. And now we are in union with that and will escape this great day of wrath. So the water is the judgment. Now we're going to get to it a little bit later. The Bible says that he, he's not going to come and destroy the earth with water again, but he's going to do it with fire. And what's interesting here that we see this is a global flood. All mankind that was there and the second coming. There's only two comings. Let me get that in there while I'm on it. There's not two and a half. There's two. He comes again. And when he comes, it's going to be a worldwide judgment. All the world. All the world will be judged. So how do we escape this wrath? Well, Christ was the substitute for us. And we have to believe in him seems simple, doesn't it? That's what this ark is going to represent. This ark through the whole thing is going to represent Christ. It is going to represent, do we enter him who is our ark by faith? And if we enter through him by faith on that last day when the wrath and the judgment comes, we're safe because he has undertaken that baptism and we're in union with that on our behalf. Well, let's look at this ark, shall we? In Genesis chapter 6, it tells us in verse 14, 
It says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. It says the ark was made with many rooms. And the Hebrew word here that comes into this verse for rooms means nests or rooms. I find that very, very powerful in the fact that um, we're told that in his father's house is what? A lot of rooms. We're going to find our safety there. We're going to read about that in Sunday coming up. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. Some translations will say rooms. This was made with rooms or nests, if you will. And that goes into the next point that they didn't work on the ark. They had their food provided on the ark. Remember, all the food was gathered up beforehand. And now here, these animals, they don't work. What are they doing? They're resting. They're resting in their rooms. They're resting in their nests. They're, they're not having to go out and labor for food because the food has been provided in this ark of safety. When I hear that, all I can think about is John chapter 6. You know the bread from heaven? The one who is the bread of life. And he says, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will be spiritually satisfied that he is the manna. He is our spiritual food. He provides the spiritual food that we feast on to have eternal life. These animals aren't working. They're resting. They're in this ark with many rooms. They're resting. They're not working. And this represents, this speaks to us as we are in this ark in Christ, that we don't work for our merit of righteousness. Because if we tried to earn our way or work our way and earn righteousness, there would be no one who would ever enter the kingdom of heaven. That standard is perfection. The Bible tells us many places that no one is justified by the law. No one can do enough good works because we've all sinned. We're born with a sin nature. We're by nature deserving of wrath. And as these animals were spared, as Noah and his family were spared, all that were on the ark will be spared. They were resting. There was no working on the ark. We find that language for us in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And there's another type and shadow that we'll find in the form of the Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 10 says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his work, works as God did from his. You see, these people, they were animals. They were not working on the ark. They were resting. The food had been prepared. Everything was ready. We're to cease from our works as we enter the ark of safety, which is Christ. And you'll notice that Abraham is going to be considered, or Abraham, excuse me, we just read that. Noah's going to be considered righteous. Does anybody want to believe that Abraham, I keep saying Abraham. There's a video of Steve Lawson where he said the same verse wrong like five times in a row. I'm only at two. So I have to write it on my page up here. Noah, does anybody want to say that Noah was considered righteous 
by his actions. Then how is Noah considered righteous? He believed God by faith. He believed God by faith. What do you think would have happened if Noah wouldn't have got on the ark by faith and tried by his own merit and own works to try to swim through the water? Tried to face this wrath and this judgment of God head on outside of the rest of the ark. What do you think would have happened? Outside of the shelter of the ark, the provision of the ark, he would have been like everyone else. He would have died. Noah was righteous because he entered by faith. He believed in faith. That's the way we're all going to be who are saved, justified, and considered righteous by faith. We find that in Genesis 15. It was Abraham, eh, got it in there. It was Abraham who believed God, and by faith he was considered righteous. You see, Noah couldn't have done this outside the ark. He would have been consumed. He would have been just destroyed and killed by the wrath that was coming from God. But he, by faith, entered the ark, rested from his works, trusted God. What's also interesting here is you're not going to find a steering wheel on the ark because Noah wasn't in charge of driving it. It floated. It went wherever the sovereign hand of God determined that it go. Can you imagine that? Just at the mercy of the ark. Trusting the promise of God that said, if you enter this ark, then you will be safe. I wonder if the waves were ever crashing to the point where maybe Noah, if he would have been like us, would have said, those waves are getting pretty doggone high. Did he really mean that? Am I really going to come out of this thing on the other side safe, despite all the storms and the crashing waves and everything around me? But Noah wasn't in charge of the ark to drive it. He was in charge. to tr His role was to get on and trust God. And we find that as we go through this life in the ark of safety, which is Christ, that he leads us, that the Holy Spirit guides us in this life. We are not supposed to have the steering wheel. We are to trust God who guides us, even through the waves, even through the storms, knowing that he's promised us that when we get out of the ark, we'll be in a new heaven and a new earth. There's so much beauty that's in this story that God is showing us, foreshadowing here in Noah and the ark. And then let's get down to some of the obvious points that we see here. I forgot. What was the, what was the ark made out of? It was made of wood. So we see that Noah is going to place faith in this wooden object that God said, if you place your faith in this and you enter it by this and you believe in this, then you will be saved. And it just so happens to be when we go to Golgotha, there's another wooden object that our heavenly father, or our son, the eternal son was hanging upon. It is faith in that wooden object. It is faith in the cross that we look to, that we believe in, that we hold on to by faith. Noah had to believe in this wooden object that would save him because God promised he would. And by faith, he believed in that. And that's how we are as Christians. He says, if we believe in the cross, everyone who looks at the Son of Man and believes, he shall have eternal life. If we look at the cross, we look at the work, and if we have faith in his cross and the work and what it means, then we know that he will save us, save us from the wrath to come. We find this in 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it is the work of the Son that saves us from the wrath to come. It says this, And to wait from, for His Son from heaven, whom He had raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. That wrath is the last day. And let me just say this really quickly if I can. Can I just take a little tangent? Is that okay? One of the texts that I have heard cited back to me in view of a pre-tribulation rapture comes to us out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And I'm going to believe in you all because I think that you will understand what this means quite clearly. And they'll say, well, well here's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And they'll quote this verse. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Do you see what we're saying here? What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is not tribulation. The wrath of God is not hardships. The wrath of God is the immutable wrath of God that is poured out on the last day throughout all eternity for those who reject the Son. And you're right, He's not destined the elect for wrath, but He's appointed. Look at those terms. He's not destined you to wrath, but He's appointed you to eternal life. And it just so happens to be that all that were appointed to eternal life believed. They enter the ark of safety. If you and I believe in the cross of Christ and by faith enter through Him, it is that work through the Son that has saved us from the wrath to come on the last day. You or I are in the ark of safety because we believe in the cross, the wooden cross, the work of the Son. And it is that Son who rescues us from the wrath to come on the last day. And John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's abiding on them now, but will be absolutely shown in its magnitude and poured out on that last day all through eternity. Do you get the picture here? The wrath of God is the judgment that we see in the water. It's going to come in the last day form of fire. But the question is, are we on the ark or are we not? That's the only hope we have. It's the only hope that Noah and his family and the animals had. It's the only hope of mankind is to be on this ark. And then I want to show you something that's even more deep and more amazing to the story. In verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. So we see the wood. Make it with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Have you heard that before? What is pitch? Well, pitch was a resin. It was a substance that was used to seal and the seams and the cracks. And we find it some places in the Old Testament. But you know what I find is truly amazing about that word pitch? Are you ready? The Hebrew transliteration of this word for pitch, kofar or kofar, and it means a covering. And you'll also find a form of this word in Leviticus 17, verse 11. Let me read it for you. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it, is, for it is the blood by the reason of the life that makes atonement. And when we find the word atonement in Leviticus 17, 11, it's also the form of that word that we find used in the ark in the form of pitch. It means a covering. It means atonement. 
and here in this ark. It is the pitch that will cover and seal so that none of the wrath, none of the rain can ever get to Noah or the animals. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me if I'm on the ark? You keep talking about the ark and that's Christ and I'm safe. What about this pitch? You and I are covered. We are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And we are covered by His atonement on that wooden cross. It is His blood that covers us and seals us. And what separates us? What keeps us from experiencing the wrath of the Father? It is the covering that we have in His righteousness and in His blood. The ark just continues to get more beautiful, doesn't it? It's got rooms. It's made of wood. It's got pitch. It's got a covering. It's covering those who are in it. You remember when we talked about the Day of Atonement and the high priest in Leviticus 16? If you remember, we said that the, the high priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And what would separate the inside the law of God and the righteousness, the perfection that we are to have if we want to live by the law and the presence of God. The only thing that was covering, separating that was the blood. Covering it, sealing it. And here we see that. When you're in the ark, when you trust in Christ, His blood covers you. His blood is your atonement. It's your propitiation. It covers you. His righteousness covers you. And if you're in the ark of Christ, you're covered. And not a drop of judgment. Wrath of God. We will be judged for what we do, but the wrath of God, the wrath of God poured out on that day, we're sealed. We're covered by His righteousness and His blood. Look what's in verse 14 so much. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Let me just read a few verses on the atonement of Christ being our covering. When God displayed, Romans 3, 25, when God, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or an atonement in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. 1 John 2, 2 says, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. John, 1 John 4, 10, is, In this is love, not that we love God, that but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Remember that was the propitiation was the, the goat that would be killed so the blood could be sprinkled upon the mercy seat. Do you see the pitch here? It's the covering. It's what seals the ark. And you and I as we're in Christ. There's a union there. When we're in Christ, His blood, His righteousness covers us from the coming judgment on the last day. We know that we're covered in His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he who made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice or I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So the pitch is important. The pitch is the covering. And it points to Christ covering us. We know there was only one door on the ark. 
There wasn't a back door. There wasn't a side door. There was one door. You know there would only be one door, right? This is pointing to Christ. There's only one door to salvation. There's only one way to escape the wrath that is to come. It is through Christ. You remember this in John chapter 10, verse 7 through 9. Jesus said to them, this is, this is in the Good Shepherd discourse, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You go through that door, trust in him by faith. You'll be covered and you will be saved. That's the promise. That is the promise. And here we're going to be here on Sunday, good Lord willing. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's exclusive. You remember when we were in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the door is narrow because there's only one. The path is narrow because it's in Christ. This one door to safety, to escape the wrath of God is pointing to the door of the sheep, the only way to heaven, faith in Christ. And we mentioned it, that Noah was made righteous by faith. Now by works, if he would have tried to work his way, he would have not been righteous. If he wouldn't have rested inside the ark, he would have drowned and died. He would have faced that judgment just like all of us who try to do it on our own works. We're all condemned. Our mouths are held closed is what Romans 3 says if we try to do that in our own works. But it was by faith that Noah entered. We find that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the safety of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to what? To faith. Noah was righteous because of faith. He believed God. He believed the promise. He believed and trusted God. And that is how he was declared righteous before God. It's the same way with all of us. We are only will be righteous when we place faith in Christ. He declares us righteous. That is justification. And then I find that where it landed is such an importance. You heard me read it the first time through, and we probably didn't give it much thought. Let's find it. It's in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. It says, In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Seems kind of just like a standard, hey, he came to rest on Ararat. What's the big deal? Well, I told you nothing's there for no insignificant matter. Do you know what Ararat means in Hebrew? The curse reversed. That's where he came to rest. Those who were in the ark, believing by faith, entering through the one door, covered by the pitch, the covering, believing God. That when it stopped and it came to rest, it was on a mountain range. That means the curse reversed. I think we can sum it up by going to Galatians chapter 3 and just reading it. We told you that the ark represents Christ. Its wood represents the cross. Its one door represents His exclusive uh, claim to being the way to the Father. 
pitch represents his atonement, his covering upon us and his righteousness upon us. It has no steering wheel as he is the one who's guiding and leading us. And then we come to it landing on Ararat, which means the curse reversed. And we find this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Let me stop there. The gospel didn't start in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? How we think so often as the church worldwide that the gospel begins in the New Testament. But here we have Paul looking back and saying, but God was showing and leading and revealing this to Abraham, and Abraham preached the gospel. Well, what, what is the gospel message that we find in Abraham? Abraham believed in the promise. Abraham believed that he would have a son who would be the one who would uh, come, he would become the father of all these nations. He would be the one, it would be Abraham who believed God for the promise of a child, and it would be that child who would represent Christ, who through faith in that son, we become righteous. And it is faith from Abraham in that promise of the son and of this promise that God had given him that he was declared righteous. Abraham believed and it was credited faith. He is revealing and preaching the gospel in the Old Testament. All the nations will be blessed in you. There's a foreshadowing, the, the mystery of the gospel, the Gentiles. And it says this, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Let me sum that up for you as James says it. If you break one of the law, you're guilty of them all. If you break one of the law, you are deserving of death, wrath, and eternal damnation. That's what it says. One sin for the wages of sin is death. So if you want to try to work and do it by the law, you're going to die. You're going to be under that curse. Now listen. Know that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, let that sink in. The law is not of faith. Try to do it on your own. What does that say to you and me about our view of the work of Christ? It says, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. How is your curse lifted off of you by the law being your means of righteousness? How is your curse lifted, atoned for? It was by the work of Christ on your behalf on the cross. He became a curse so he could set us free from the curse of the law. That's what he did. Again, it goes back to the wooden object, doesn't it? The wooden cross is not only the blood that covers us, not only the righteousness that covers us, but it's also what lifted the curse off of us as he died on our behalf. 
And what's even more amazing is this. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us the whole world right now is groaning. Groaning and travailing, waiting for that day when this curse is lifted from the earth. And that curse will be lifted when? When the sons of God are revealed. On the last day. And here as the, the wrath and the judgment of God in the form of these waters has subsided, now those who are on the ark are resting on this mountain called Ararat, which means curse reversed, because of the work of the ark, which is Christ. But then when they get out of the ark, they're in a new creation. The world is different. And we find that because he died for us, took the curse upon himself, when we enter into glory, where will we be? Where will we find ourselves? We'll find ourselves in a new heaven, won't we? In a new earth where the curse is lifted. And there'll be no more sickness. See, the, the things that we see in Genesis, I mean, that's good. That's a good, but this isn't the fulfillment of it. Noah got out and there was still sin. Noah's going to sin pretty quickly after he gets off the ark. Because it's a shadow of things to come. There's a better ark. There's a better Abraham. There's a better David. There's a better Jonah. That's what the Old Testament is saying. They come on Ararat, the curse reversed through the work of the Son, whom this is foreshadowing. And when we get out of the ark into our promised land, we will enter a place where there is no sickness, no more, no more curse, no more death, no more sorrow, no more sadness. He has guided us all along that way until we reach that eternal home. It's no mistake they landed here. It's no mistake that it means curse reversed. It's the beauty of the word coming alive. Let me move quickly as we go to the last day. As I mentioned, the flood was a global flood. It was the wrath of God poured out on all mankind that didn't enter the ark by faith. The whole world will be judged on his coming on the last day. Read some of these verses with me here in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 39. It says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. For the coming of the son of man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the son of man be. Again, you can ask how that fits in your eschatology, but it says it'll be like it is in the days of Noah. We're to preach like Noah. We're to witness like Noah. Noah spent many, 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 many years preaching the gospel, preaching the message. Get on the ark. Get on the ark. The rain is coming. It's co you got to get on this wooden ark. Remember, we said that we're not in charge of the results, we're in charge of being obedient. I don't know how many people were on the world on the world at that time, but there was eight that got on the boat, and they were all his family. How many people do you think came by and Noah said, get on the ark. This is your only hope. Oh, I'm sure he was laughed at. I'm sure he was made fun of. The judgment's not, what are you talking about? We don't even see the rain. We're going to live it up, drink, and be merry. Isn't that what we see across the world in all societies and all cultures and all generations. Second Peter is going to tell us they're scoffing back in first century. Where's the coming of Christ? It may be tomorrow. It may be 50 years from today. It may be 500 years from today. It may be 5,000 years from today. We do not know. But we're still to 
declare the gospel like Noah. It's coming. This is your only hope. You will find rest. You will find a covering. This is your only hope. I guess my question would be how dedicated would we be to continue to spread the gospel after the first 40 years of no one coming onto the ark or believing in the ark that we're preaching? Let's put ourselves in that context. God told him to preach the word. He was a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-9 through 9 says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, yes, the last days, I do believe, began in 1st century A.D. after the death of Christ. Mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the Word of God, that by the Word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world and that at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape you, your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You remember that when we were reading through the story, it says if, you do, if anyone that wasn't on the ark perished, they perished. What do we know about the elect of God, the sheep of God? He calls them. The animals were called, weren't they? And they came. And no one that was on that ark perished. That's what he says. My sheep know my name. They come. I give them eternal life. They don't perish. All who's on the ark are his elect, and they will not perish. All that's in Christ, that's who this is pointing to. And all will come to repentance. All that are his will come to repentance. And if you're like, man, it seems like a long time since he came. We're 2,000 years on this side of the grave. He's got to be coming back. Well, according to the, the numerology there and the mathematics of this text, he's been gone for about two days. So let's put that into perspective. It's not been that long to God, but he's coming. Water in the flood in Noah, fire in this time. We said that as Noah exited the ark, the world looked a little different, didn't it? The world was not the same as what it was when he boarded the ark. It rested on Ararat, which is a curse reversed, and he entered into this creation that looked totally different. There were no animals out there besides the one that were on the ark. The water, who knows what the water did to, to erosion. And different. It looked different. It, Psalm tells us that the mountains were thrusted up and the valleys were made low in the water. So we know it looked different. It was a new creation, if you will. The curse reversed a new creation after he got off of the ark. We also find this clue. I, wanna, I don't want to forget this. That it said that when they went in, God shut the door, didn't it? That reminds me of a couple parables that we find in the New Testament where it says they try to go and they start banging on the door. Remember the, when the bridegroom comes and the, the, the unwise virgins are left there and they start going, they start beating on the door and they say, let me in. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. God shuts the door, it's over. It's over. There was no chance after that door was shut. 
But those who were on the ark of safety lived. They landed on Ararat, curse reversed, and they get out to a world that looks different. And we find right after Peter tells us that, that he destroyed the earth with water, he's coming in fire, all that are his will repent. Now he tells us what, what we need to know about the new earth. One day, the last day, Christ pours out this judgment and wrath on the ungodly. His elect will enter a new heaven, new earth. Here's what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13 says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? What kind of people are we to be? Well, I think it goes right along with his will for us, which is sanctification. He said that we are to be holy in conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our eternal home. The curse lifted. A new heaven and a new earth after getting off the ark. Trusting in Christ will bring us to that promised land. The new heaven, the new earth, the curse removed. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. And you say, well, how did I get there? I heard the gospel of the cross. The wooden cross. I heard about Jesus who was the only door, the only way. Heard about that if I believed in him, that his blood would cover me, his righteousness would cover me. And by faith, I believed in him. And in that union, I entered the ark. I entered the ark of safety. I became in union with him. And now, through this life, all who are believers are in that ark, if you will. That one day the wrath of God will come. But because we've entered through the only door, through the work of Christ, His blood has covered us. His righteousness covers us. And one day when the wrath of God is poured out on this world, you and I will escape that wrath because He has made that atonement for us. He has took on the curse for us. He has reversed that curse upon us. And one day, as He's promised, we will escape the wrath through Him and we will step out of that ark, if you will. And our feet are going to step down in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And you say, how did you make it there? I believed in the ark. I rested in the ark. I trusted in the ark. That's how I got there. The wrath of God upon the wicked and ungodly came via the flood in the time of Noah. And only those who believed God and by faith entered the ark were saved from the coming wrath and death. The flood was a foreshadowing of the judgment of the last day. And the ark was foreshadowing of Christ who saves us from the wrath to come. All those by faith who believe in the work of the cross enter through the only door into the ark which is Christ. They're covered by His atonement and His blood. And they'll be rescued from the wrath to come. And one day, like we mentioned, they'll step foot into the new heaven and new earth where the curse has been removed. 
and where righteousness dwells. So what are we to do as we leave here tonight? What's our job? We don't know who the elect are, but we do know the only way to enter that new heaven and new earth. So let us be like Noah. This is the only way. Here's the only door. If they laugh at you, you keep going. If you tell them for 50 years and they don't believe you, don't, it's not upon you. They didn't see the rain, but one day it started. And one day, the one we've been waiting for, the Son of Man, will come. The wrath of God will be poured out. But do you know why I will escape that wrath that day? Because I've entered into the ark of safety, which is Christ. So when we look at the flood of Noah, I hope that it means more to us. And I hope that we see the working of Christ and the foreshadowing of Christ in this story. It's the only way. So tonight as we close, I ask that maybe you would join with me in maybe agreement with two things if we could. I hope that tonight we could leave and we could say that we agree that the Bible is better than what we've made it. And when we look at the story of Noah and the flood and the ark, maybe you would agree with me tonight where we could say there's more to the story. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you. Um, we glorify you tonight. Lord, your word is so good and it's so deep. And Lord, we are thankful that your spirit leads us and guides us into truth and that Lord, we can begin to understand more the depths of your word. Lord, as we begin to see the beauty of it, our hearts are humbled, God, and our lives are in awe of you. That it is pointing to you. The story that we've heard tonight is pointing to you. But Lord, in this story, there's a greater judgment coming on that last day. There's greater wrath coming, but there's also a greater ark, and that ark is in your son, and we thank you, Lord, that you called us into this ark, that we heard the call to enter the ark, that effectual call, and we come into this ark, resting from our works, trusting in you, letting you guide us in this life as we're covered by your blood and your righteousness. Lord, we trust you and believe that through you we've escaped the wrath to come. That's not what we've been appointed for as your people, but we've been appointed to obtain salvation. Lord, we are looking forward to that day when we enter the new heavens and the new earth and we come there because of you, the true ark. We give you the glory and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.